Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and welcome back to another edition of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett and today we're going to be joined by Yogi Patel of Help Simplify. We're going to talk to Yogi about cybersecurity for physicians right after this. Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. Today, I'm talking with Chris Hansen of Alliance Bank. And Chris, with mortgage interest rates so good, what should we talk about in refinancing? Yeah, DJ, thank you so much for having us. Given the historically low interest rate environment we're in today, it's certainly a great time for a homeowner, a business owner, a commercial real estate owner to revisit uh, their current interest rate structure on any transactions uh, they may have with their bank or mortgage company. Uh, We can assist on both sides of that, residential and commercial. Uh, We approach uh, all of our lending on a relationship basis, uh, so we get to know our customers. We are definitely a long-term vision type of company. Uh, We've been 95 years in Texas, Texas only bank, and pleased to serve this Collin County market from my office, as well as contiguous counties. And if physicians are interested in contacting you, what's the best way to get in touch? Office email address, chansen, C-H-A-N-S-E-N, at alliancebank.com. And for more information about Alliance Bank, check them out on the web at alliancebank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're going to be talking with Yogi Patel of Help Simplify about cybersecurity, quite the uh, topic that is very important to physicians in the age of EMRs. Yogi, welcome to the program. Hi, yeah, appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to be here, and thanks for the invite. Can you uh, kind of tell our listeners what your background is to give them a platform for where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, currently, I am the Chief Executive Officer for Help Simplify. Um, We're basically a technology and IT company, uh, and we focus on medical clinics. So everything uh, for the infrastructure, uh, anything you know, uh, technology-related, cyber-related, anything like that. Um, also for school, I went. Uh, I, my degree is actually computer science, so I get to see both sides of that world, that technology world. So it's kind of interesting for us on our side. When at the top of the at the top of the show, I mentioned we're going to be talking cybersecurity. What exactly do we mean when somebody says cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. That question comes up a lot. Um, so, cybersecurity, believe it or not, it's been around since the telephone when we had a national telephone service. Um, so, way back in the seventies, actually, uh, Captain Crunch cereal used to uh, they used to have a little toy, a toy whistle that they used to put in all Captain Crunch boxes. And a few folks in Silicon Valley found out that uh, you could kind of game the AT&T telephone system if you play the right tones on that whistle. And that was like one of the first known, you know, hackers or uses of hacking or whatnot um, kind of documented. And so it's kind of interesting that uh, from there to now, where you look at like what just happened recently with Twitter and all, uh, you know, like people like Elon Musk and President uh, Obama, their Twitter accounts got hacked and things like that. It's a direct line from there to now. Um, The only difference is cybersecurity, it basically revolves around 
you know, securing anything that's virtual on your computer, your phone, um, even like your DVR or Apple TV or anything like that. Uh, the only difference is in the next, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, um, it used to be that big corporations had to deal with cybersecurity and, you know, securing their computers and emails and things like that. In the last 15 years, it's become that everyone has to be aware of it. Um, they, everyone has to stay vigilant, have strong passwords and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, cybersecurity just is basically security for anything that's digital. That's what it pretty much sums up to. And in that realm, what are the most common security risks you see physicians encounter? So the most common one, common issues we see are, um, it's really a one-two punch of uh, social engineering, and I'll kind of go into a little bit more depth of what that is, and just weak passwords, to be honest with you. Um, those are the no, two biggest notorious things that, not just physicians, but everyone, uh, it's a risk for everyone. Um, and so for us, uh, you know, a lot of people, we have thousands of passwords, uh, email passwords and passwords to our Netflix account and our bank and, you know, maybe a trading platform or anything like that. Um, and physicians terms, uh, you know, EMRs or lab companies and things like that. And we tend to use very simple passwords and reuse those passwords. And so that's one really big risk. And the second one is social engineering. Um, and what that really means is things like phishing attacks that come through your email. Um, what, and, and, and I'm sorry, let me interject there. What, what exactly is a phishing attack? Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a phishing attack is basically when you receive an email that looks legitimate and is asking for some type of sensitive information like, oh, uh, reconfirm your password or, oh, we just need uh, your name and address or something along those lines. Um, the issue is back in the day, like years ago, phishing attacks used to comprise of the FBI is going to take you to jail if you don't click here and tell us about yourself or, you know, fill in this form or whatever. Uh, it's gotten a lot more sophisticated these days um, to the point where it's those emails that come in, they look like a, like a bank email, like that you, you know, you know, from your bank. And it's basically one little thing that says, Hey, please click here to verify your password. And it looks exactly like a bank email. It, you know, basically walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. And so, a lot of people think it is a duck, but it's not. Uh, they click on it, and now all of a sudden their password's compromised. Um, and it becomes a one-two punch because, um, again, if you, like most people, reuse your passwords, then they have a base, whoever these people are, um, these hackers, to now work off of. They know maybe this is probably what their base password is. Um, but basically, a phishing attack comes through email. It's very difficult to kind of tell and, uh, you know, train people to, to be vigilant of those things because they're, they've gotten so good. They look so, so much like the original uh, email. So let's, let's talk about how we can overcome those. Um, in, in the password space, what do you generally counsel folks in, determine, in, in creating passwords? What, what, what steps should we use to try to avoid the weak password downfall? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, in the last year, and especially with COVID, um, everyone from Microsoft to uh, NIST, which is uh, you know basically the, the National Institute of Technologies, uh, and the FBI have all come out and and they've kind of uh, put out new guidelines for passwords. So before, password guidelines used to be, you know, have a 
have a password and change it every three months. Uh, the new guidelines basically talk about having a longer password. So a password that's at least like 14 characters long um, or longer. And that comprises of like a, a phrase or something that the person can remember, but it's a very long password. And, you know, to make sure to have a different one of those for each of those, uh, each of their accounts. Um, from our perspective, what we do for, for our folks and our clients um, is we try to really, uh, so there's a concept called single sign-on. Um, and we try to implement that as much as possible. And basically what that means is um, instead of having a Windows password and then an email password, um, and then maybe an EMR password and a lab password, um, if it supports it with single sign-on, you have one password. And once you log into Windows, it automatically logs into all of your other applications, your email and things like that. And that really makes things more secure because now uh, the user or the physician just has to uh, remember one very long password that doesn't change every three months. And it actually makes things a lot more, uh, a lot safer. Um, so that's what we try to strive to do on our side. When I know that may not be possible in all, um, kind of in all platforms, I, I use a password manager. What are your thoughts on, on those kinds of programs? Yeah, that's uh, definitely the best way to go. Uh, we actually also use a, a password manager actually to, for all of our uh, clients. Um, and we have thousands of passwords. And, um, you know, we make sure that everyone on the team has very, very long and strong passwords for the password manager. Um, and for all of our systems and everything, we auto-generate, you know, at least 14 characters or longer passwords. And so that's a great idea. Um, I can also give you some a uh, list of a couple of good password managers if you like, but uh, that's probably the number one way you can, you know, a user, a physician, anyone in the normal world can protect themselves from weak passwords because then your bank account, you can put any password that's random. You don't need to know it. And you just need to know your password manager's password. So that's definitely a great idea. Well, and I, and I think our listeners definitely would appreciate uh, recommendations on password managers if you have some. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one that we use is actually called one password. So it's like the number one and then the word password, um, dot com. Uh, and we've been very impressed with it from the beginning and we've used them from the beginning. Uh, we've kind of seen that company kind of grow up. It's kind of exciting. Um, and then there's also another company called LastPass. Um, and both of those are, you know, they put security at the forefront. They make sure that, um, all the technical stuff, like make sure that your password is not decrypted on their services or anything like that. It's always decrypted on the device. So if you access one password or LastPass um, from your iPhone, then the, you type in your big password and it gets decrypted only on the phone. It doesn't go anywhere else. And so security wise, both of those companies are really uh, top notch and that's what we would recommend. A lot of sites that I'm, I'm part of uh, have started to adopt multi-factor authentication. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what multi-factor authentication is and kind of the, the different options uh, folks may see in that realm? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yes, multi-factor, uh, it's, it's taking off everywhere because the goal of multi-factor authentication is that when you try to log into any account, you actually have two ways of verifying that person. So obviously the first way is your password. 
And so what happens for a lot of sites is they'll either text you a password or uh, like a, you know, like a six digit uh, code or a passphrase or something like that. Um, or uh, a lot of the more secure way of doing this is where they actually on your phone, your smartphone or tablet, um, it actually pops up like uh, a little thing that says, Hey, you're trying to log into this website. Is it really you? And you say yes. And then it finishes the process. Um, and so we also encourage everyone to turn on multi-factor or two-factor authentication of any kind. Um, I know recently um, multi the two-factor authentication that involves text messaging is secure-ish. Uh, it's not as secure as it could be, um, but the whole industry is moving to you download an app on your phone and everything happens encrypted and through the phone. Um, the text messaging thing is interesting because there's they're also under social engineering, like we were talking about earlier. It's not just phishing. Um, there's also something called vishing, which is becoming really popular. And it's basically phishing, but with your phone. And what happens is you'll get a phone call um, and they might even leave a voicemail that says, hey, this is your bank. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we can verify these things to keep your bank account open. Uh, please call this number and, uh, you know, and you'll be good. And so a lot of people are getting that on their phone. They call that voicemail or, you know, they listen to the voicemail, call the number, and all of a sudden they've revealed a whole bunch of sensitive information that's not even to their bank. Um, and so that's also becoming really popular now. And that also is starting to put holes into the, the two-factor that uses uh, text messaging. It's still secure, but the whole industry is now moving to having an app on your phone. Um, and also just a, just a side note for phishing and vishing and social engineering. Um, one of the things we tell our physicians is if you get an email from Netflix or your bank or your financial institution or your EMR, don't feel obligated to click on anything in that email. Just go straight to the website and log in and see if there's any notifications in there. Um, that's probably the number one way to, to kind of um, bypass the phishing attempt because uh, let's say my bank sends me an email. I'm not really sure if it's legitimate or not. I can either call them up or just log into my bank account and um, they're going to have that same information there. And so that's one thing we also, uh, we also advocate for. Uh, and the other thing is there are a lot of training programs out there now. And we've, we've also looked into this for our clients where um, especially at clinics where, uh, you know, we'll, we'll set them up and different users, nurses, uh, MAs, physicians will get, phishing emails and um, we can tell if they clicked on it, if they looked at it or whatever. And then we, you know, we can improve like, okay, well, why did you click on it? What made you click on it? Um, and we can see a lot of analytics that way. And it becomes a learning process. Um, and because for us, the whole thing is we want people to be secure at work and at home. Um, what people don't realize is, especially to bring your own device. Um, if you get compromised at home, you could also get compromised at work and vice versa. And, it's just we all need to just be more vigilant. Um, but those are just some tactics that we that we use or you know that we advocate for. And and you kind of read my mind because that's actually a tactic I use when I'm I, when I get an email or voicemail that sounds weird. I just call the number directly for the bank or go directly to the email or the website. I I don't click what's in the email. I don't I don't use those shortcuts. Um, when when we talk about when you talk about phishing, 
are, is there anything that physicians could use to kind of train themselves or, and, or their staff to look for in emails that kind of should raise a red flag for them? Yeah. Uh, so there are, um, and like I said, you know, uh, we're, we, we're rolling some, some of these training things out ourselves. Um, it really becomes like an educational thing where basically, um, you know, you have to partner up with, with the physician or the clinic or, or whatnot and really ha- like sit down with them and say, okay, look, or sit down with the office manager and say, okay, in this week or two, we're going to be sending out emails that look suspicious, but don't worry about them. They're from us. And let's just see what happens. Um, and so what happens is we'll send out emails. Uh, people click on, on them or go through that whole process of, okay, well, tell us your password or whatever it may be. Um, and we will be able to get analytics and data on our side. Um, and then we can turn that to a training session. And that's what we, we normally do, um, or that's what we want to do. Um, because what, that's I really mean, the with, only way. With that kind of analytics that you've seen so far, what are some of the, what are some of the common mistakes that, that people make that maybe everyone can learn from? Yeah, so for us, we're just we're, we're still trialing all of this. Um, to be honest with you, COVID-19 pushed forward technology in the medical field by, by like 10 years. Uh, the, so the reason why we even started as a company was um, IT and you know, uh, technology and everything, uh, it had hit every other sector except for the medical sector for the longest time. Um, and when HIPAA and high tech came out um, and those regulations of having all the physicians move to, from paper-based uh, charting to electronic charting, that's when um, IT really was starting to get a little bit more important and, and was part, you know, clinics would say, okay, well, we need an IT company to help us do this stuff. The problem was, was these IT companies are used to um, doing IT for um, industrial companies or Fortune 500 companies, and they never really understood healthcare properly. Um, and the way HIPAA and high tech are set up, they're very vague in their language and things like that. And so you have to really... Um, have someone who knows, okay, how to, you know, how to uh, interpret some of these things and what is risky and what is not risky. Um, and interestingly enough, when COVID hit, uh, we, we had a situation where um, we went from clinics who were like, well, we don't really want to do telemedicine or um, have folks work from home or anything to we need telemedicine now, we need 20 webcams and we need people to work from home. Um, and it just moved everything forward. Uh, and also it was really weird because um, in March, April, March, um, we were trying to look for webcams and you could not find a webcam anywhere. You can't find it on Amazon, Best Buy or anywhere. We found that really interesting that this thing hit us so hard that the, the demand for webcams went up just for telemedicine and stuff like that, um, which then prompted us to kind of, okay, really say, okay, we, we need to put this at the forefront uh, security and all of that stuff at the forefront. But um, the things that we normally see are just the same as what, what people normally encounter. Uh, you know, they see an email and then they try to respond to it immediately. Um, and so what we tell folks is, hey, don't respond to an email immediately. It's not a phone conversation. Um, like you can do a few things. Like first hover over a link in, in the email or the to uh, column or the from column and see if the 
email looks suspicious because a lot of these emails come in and uh, even the ones we send out will have weird, um, you know, it won't just say the bank name.com. It'll, it'll have some weird email address and, and those are telltale signs that it's a phishing um, email. And so for us, it's just slow down um, and just observe the email and, and then use the tactic of, okay, if you think this is from your bank, go, go, go log into your bank account. So um, it, it's super, and on one level, it's kind of simple to prevent a, a lot of phishing attacks, but um, you just have to know what to look for. And, and that's what most of the training is around. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, HIPAA and high tech. Um, one of the, the biggest things before COVID, at least, was, uh, was HIPAA compliant email so what exactly does it mean for an email to be HIPAA compliant? Yeah, absolutely. Um, HIPAA compliant email, it basically, so the whole point of HIPAA and I mean, everyone knows this is um, patient data protection and making sure that things are secure and that um, a patient's data doesn't go out without their consent. So when you have email that's HIPAA compliant, what that really means is um, that the, mail piece itself or not mail piece, but the email itself has to, wherever it's stored, it has to be encrypted. So it's, there's a concept called encryption in place and then um, encryption on the wire. And so encryption in place means that um, once you receive the email or sent the email, it's encrypted on the server side. Um, and this does kind of get a little technical, but um, so that's one component. And the second component is if a physician or staff send out an email, if it does have patient information or sensitive information, it should not go out um, like a normal email. It should try to encrypt it and then let the end user, the person who's receiving the email, um, know that, hey, this is an encrypted email. Click here to uh, you know, view the email. And so everything kind of stays on the server and it stays encrypted. And that's, that's kind of the goal with HIPAA compliant email. Um, Whereas normal email doesn't go through those steps. If, if I send you an email, a lot of it, it goes in what's called clear text, which means, um, you know, if someone were to be looking for that email, they'll be able to read the whole email. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the definition of a HIPAA compliant email. When also on the, the, on the web are websites. Most physicians have their own websites. Are there HIPAA or other regulatory concerns when, when we maintain websites? Um, so the, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, the most prevalent one is uh, making sure that if you have like a contact form on your website, that um, you have a disclaimer that the, the person visiting your website has to check mark that says something along the lines of, um, I'm, this is just, uh, it's not verbatim, <laughs> but something along the lines of, hey, your email is gonna go over a non-secure channel. And if you put any PHI data or patient um, history information um, uh, or any sensitive information, just know that it's not gonna be encrypted and it's gonna over a secure wire. And what that does is that, that allows the user to make the decision of, am I okay with this going um, this information going out on a non-secure channel. Uh, so that's one of the biggest things. The other thing is um, sometimes physicians are like, well, can we have um, patients upload their files to the website? And that's a big no-no because um, it's very difficult to secure a website and it does cost a lot of money and things like that. And so we kind of avoid that 
altogether. We don't, we talk about other solutions for that, not so much uploading it to a website. Um, so yeah, those are the two biggest things. Uh, there are some vague rules that the ADA has put out for, um, you know, disability. Uh, so people who are disabled can have access to your website, but there's nothing concrete there. And so um, there's actually a guideline called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. And it's just something the industry came up with. And that's usually what people use. And, and I can also provide that link for you. Um, but generally, if you just have a normal website that on the phone looks good and has good clear text and on con on any contact forms um, you put this disclaimer you're usually pretty good there's no there's no other uh, issues there in, in in my business so i'm a facial plastic surgeon one of the other things that that i've been told is also be careful when you put up patient testimonials or photos of patients because those require very clear releases from the patients for their uses have you come across that as well yeah, actually we have. Um, and usually it's just a, a simple form that the patient fills out um, with their information, the fact that they consent to, uh, you know, the testimonial and the information that's going to be going out or be on the website, and then their testimonial. So, um, you know, one of our uh, clients is a, a bariatric surgeon, and uh, we do this all the time for her patients. Uh, there's a form that they fill out, they give us the testimonial. And they basically sign off saying, yes, it's okay if it's on the website. Um, we tend not to use a person's full name. Um, so we try to avoid using their last name and only use their first name and, and the testimonials. And that gives a little bit more privacy for that person. Um, but some of the testimonials also have pictures. So at that point, it's the patient's completely given his consent to use that testimonial and their picture on the website. Um, and then that, that'll cover you under HIPAA because, you know, you got their consent. And I, I know this could probably be a full podcast on itself, but could you maybe touch on some of the, the HIPAA regulations you're seeing in the telemedicine space as well? Yeah, actually. Um, so the telemedicine space has been very interesting because, uh, again, once COVID kind of hit, um, there were companies out there that already did telemedicine that were fairly secure, uh, you know, um, app-based, so both the physician and the clinic have to log in and the patient has to log in, and then there's, um, you know, encrypted connection. Once COVID hit, they kind of laxed all of those rules um, just for, because of the pandemic. And this is why Zoom kind of took off so quickly. Um, and a lot of, basically all the telemedicine companies took off uh, in the sense of usage-wise, where people are signing up for them. Um, so there's one called doxy.me that will be like really uh, a lot. It's super easy to use and it's secure. Um, and then a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but there are folks that also use uh, Zoom and some folks use Teams. And so there are a lot of different platforms. When it comes to HIPAA compliance, though, it's usually generally the same things. Um, is the connection encrypted so that no one else can, can intercept it? Uh, no third party can just hop on and listen to your conversation. Um, you know, are uh, each side being verified? So is the physician logging in? And um, is the patient also making sure that they verify who they are? Um, and generally, that, that's pretty much it. And at least from the user perspective, from the uh, company's perspective, they have to still abide by the rules of, is this uh, information encrypted? 
while the session's going on? Is it encrypted on the servers? Um, are their data centers SOC compliant, which is this uh, IT uh, compliancy that says things like um, all the servers are locked, the building's locked, the building has 24-hour security, there, there's a fence around the, the data center that uh, you know prevents unauthorized access. Um, anyone who does go to the servers or have, you know, close to the servers or work on the servers, they have to make sure they're badged in and there has to be audit logs and things like that. So on the technical side, um, there's a lot. On the user side, they just have to make sure that they see a little green lock or that it's encrypted. It sounds like it's probably best just to stick with companies that are kind of specializing in HIPAA compliant telehealth though, at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, and all of these companies are, are doing that. The companies that were already in uh, telehealth um, for medical, um, those are good to like doxy.me. I know like Zoom has come out with Zoom Health, which um, is, you know, if you were to sign up for Zoom, for example, don't sign up for Zoom, sign up for Zoom Health, uh, because Zoom Health is the, uh, you know, the part of Zoom that will uh, be HIPAA compliant. They will sign a, um, a BAA and all of that, all of those type of things. We're talking with Yogi Patel of Help Simplify about cybersecurity. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Yogi his top three things he would tell physicians about cybersecurity. Stay tuned. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out-salesman to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're talking with Yogi Patel of Help Simplify. And as we do in most of our podcasts towards the end, we ask our top three. So, Yogi, I'm going to ask you, what are the top three things you would tell a physician about cybersecurity? Yeah, so the top three things, um, we've kind of already covered a lot of them. Uh, passwords, you know, always make sure you have very secure passwords. Um, a password that's at least 14 characters long. Um, our, our recommendations usually try and create a passphrase, uh, like part of a song, um, or you know, just like a um, a phrase or anything that you can remember that's at least 14 characters or longer. The longer, the better. Uh, so that'll be probably number one. The number two is really just be vigilant for these social attacks um, or social engineering attacks. Uh, they're the number one way that people get compromised, their computers, their phones, their businesses. Um, I know the Sony hack that happened uh, a few years ago, it all happened due to uh, a phishing attack, believe it or not. And like, you know, millions of dollars worth of Sony's property is out there now because um, someone wasn't vigilant when they got that email. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so look out for social engineering. And like we said, like with, text messages and uh, phone calls and voicemails and things like that. It's, it's happening everywhere. So keep vigilant of that. Uh, the third thing really is for your own business and for your clinic. Um, the, the thing is partner up with someone who really does know this industry from a technical perspective. Um, 
as well as from a process perspective, because with HIPAA and high tech, um, you have to know both components of it because there is a technical component and then there's uh, a process component. And it really has to be a close partnership with, with whoever their technology folks are, um, as well as their office managers and people like that, because you have to put in certain processes so that people don't do certain things. And then the technology side has to either uh, allow for that functionality to happen or verify that that's happening and things like that. And so our number three thing is really um, partner up with someone that, uh, that, you know, knows this industry and uh, that will keep your business as protected as you can make it protected. So those are probably the three things that we, we always let our, our physicians know. And you bring up a good point there that, that I think is lost a lot of times is the process portions of HIPAA and high tech, where you, you have to have training protocols and, and, as you said, basically processes in addition to just the, the technical security side of it. And I think that's oftentimes lost in, in a lot of discussions. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, a lot of people think that... Um, okay, well, HIPAA and high tech really just mean technical. Okay, do you have a HIPAA compliant encrypted email? Um, are your servers encrypted? Or do you have a firewall? But it goes beyond that. There is a very big component of um, educating the staff. Like, um, make sure you don't send, uh, you know, patient information over email unless you absolutely have to. And when you do, make sure that, you know, it is uh, encrypted. Um, all the way to, um, you know, we've seen stuff like, um, you know, does the office manager make sure that the, the server room is locked? Um, and where is that key placed? Is that a key in a safe? Because we don't want to keep the server room locked, uh, you know, key just on your desk, for example. So it's the broad spectrum of uh, everything. It's everything from physically at the office to virtually. Um, and all just co-mingles. Yogi, thanks for your time. We appreciate all of the insights you've provided today. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely up for doing another topic if you're ever up for that. Uh, I, I suspect we'll be calling you again. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. We've been talking with Yogi Patel of Help Simplify on cybersecurity for physicians. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. Until next time, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com.